week we talked about the fact that God is omnipresent. That is, God is everywhere. We cannot be anywhere apart from God. Which brings up another good question that we did not explore last week simply because it is beyond the scope of, of this class. But one that's, that's interesting to consider, and it's debated sometimes, and that is, is God present in hell? Now some would say hell is the absence of God's presence. And there are scriptures that would certainly uh, would, would agree with that. But then there are other scriptures that say uh, those are in the presence of, of Jesus who are, who, are, who are being in judgment. And so I'm not swaying one way or another or making an argument for one, one case or the other. I suppose you could say that hell certainly is the absence of God. That certainly is bad anytime God is absent. Uh, but you may could make the argument that hell is those who are experiencing the wrath of God, and so that's an aspect of God that is not on those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so when the question of God being omnipresent, God being everywhere comes up, sometimes you may see it. Uh, the question asked, what does that have to do with God's presence in hell? Is he there in some way or not there at all? Anyway, that's a good topic that you may want to study if that interests you. So that's one area we looked at, that God is omnipresent. He is all over. He is everywhere we are. We also talked about the fact that God is omnipotent, that is, powerful. God is all-powerful. God has the power to do anything and everything that he desires to do, God can do it. And then we also talked about the fact that God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows all that is going to be before it is. So course he knows the past he knows the present and even knows the future even though that's hard for us to understand how that's possible yet God knows all things before they occur God is omniscient so those are the terms we looked at last week those terms were not found in scripture but those ideas are found in scripture uh, uh, tonight we will look at some some more at least one more term that's not not necessarily in Scripture. However, some translations, I believe, may use the term. But, but the idea, again, is pretty clear in Scripture, the, the thoughts and the theme of, of the idea. So the first thing that we are going to look at tonight is going to be that God is unchanging. Sometimes you'll hear unchanging. Sometimes you'll hear the phrase God is immutable or God's immutability. That's the same thing, unchanging, immutable, kind of the same idea. The second thing we will talk about is that God is holy. And the third thing that we will talk about is that God is sovereign. And so we'll start with unchanging. What does this mean? Well, it means simply this. God cannot and will not change. The core of who God is will remain constant, has remained constant, and will continue to remain constant both now and forevermore. It is impossible for God to change. He is God. He is who He is. Everything that makes up the nature of God, all of these ways that we have talked about and will talk about that are parts of who God is are things that will not change. God is un. Changing. The first passage that we will look at is found in Psalm 102, 25 through 27. It says, Long ago you established the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment, and they will pass away. 
but you are the same, and your years will never end. Now, here we see in this, in this passage a truth that's important about God. And one is, God has created everything that we see on this earth. But what we also see on this earth is all the things that God has created are passing away. I mean, this earth is eroding and being destroyed. And, and even with all the erosion or destruction that there is, yet we still look at the earth and there is still so much beauty in this earth. Even all the things that have been affected by sin, both the humanity and the creation, there's still great beauty there. We still see the power of God and the beauty of God in creation, yet these things are passing away. This old world is not going to be the way it is forever. Now, the Scripture tells us there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and what that will look like, I do not know. But I know that this world, in the way that it is now, and the way that it's been affected by sin, will one day not come to be. Now, he uses the illustration here as clothes. Now, we probably all have some favorite shirt or some favorite pants that we like, and we're kind of bummed when those things wear out. And honestly, sometimes we wear stuff even when it's worn out longer than we should because that's when it starts feeling good. About the time that it, that it gets worn out, those pants just feel better. But then they got a hole in them and you can't wear them anymore. So creation, our clothes, whatever it may be, the illustration being that whatever we have in this world is passing away. There's nothing here that is constant that is unchanging. Everything is, is changing. Even we are changing. Now, we may not see those changes. You may look at yourself in the mirror today and say, well, I look just the same as I did yesterday. But look at a picture of yourself from a year ago, from 10 years ago, from 20 years ago. You may not have seen the change, but it has occurred because things in this world are ever changing. But that is not so of God. God is unchanging. He has been and will be the same. All right, the next passage that we're going to look at is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Now, of course, we will get into that in more detail here in the coming months. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, we serve a Savior who does not change. And the message of the gospel does not change. Now, we have to be careful and we have to remember this truth in speaking about Jesus here. That the gospel of who Jesus is does not change. Now, sometimes there are those who come around and they preach a gospel different from that that we see in Scripture. They preach a Jesus different from that that we see in Scripture. They change Jesus into who they think he is or who they want him to be or who they claim that God has revealed to them something more. But Jesus does not change. The Jesus we see in the Scripture is who Jesus is. There is nothing more to be added to, nothing to be taken away. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we praise Jesus, we praise Jesus for who he is. There is nothing more to be revealed to us about Jesus and who he is and what he has done. We have seen the, 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 the nature of God through Jesus, as Hebrews says, and Jesus is unchanging. All right, next passage. Because I, Yahweh, have not changed, you descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. Now, God is pretty good. God had made promises to his people, and even though there was lots of evil that had continued to go on among Israel and among Judah, God was patient with them. Now, that's not to say that God did not bring some judgment and that God did not bring some destruction. On many occasions, he did. 
But ultimately, he never completely wrote off his people. As bad as they were, as sinful as they were, God was good. God was true to the, to the oath that he swore, to the promise that he made through Abraham. And we will talk about that here in just a second. But here is another reminder that, that says clearly, Yahweh, I have not changed. And God will not change. God is patient. Eventually, his patience will run out. Sometimes God has to chasten those whom he loves. Now, of course, he loved his people Israel, but he did not love that they lived in sin, no more than God loves that we live in sin. But thank the Lord, God is patient, so we can, we can, we can find some peace and joy in that fact that God does not change. But also, God brings to judgment sometimes the things that we do. And so, while that's a little scarier... We need to remember that fact, too, that God has not just all of a sudden said, oh, I'm, I'm no longer going to bring judgment or consequences on people. I'm just gracious all the time. And sometimes that may be what is taught. Oh, in the New Testament, God has changed. He's not the same God of the Old Testament. But that is simply not true in Scripture. God has not changed. We see the grace of God in a much more beautiful and powerful way through Jesus Christ, praise, praise the Lord. But God has not changed every aspect of who God is in the Old Testament is the same as to who God is in the New Testament and today and forevermore. All right, the next passage that we're going to look at is Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. Now, in the Old Testament, way early on toward the beginning of Genesis, about chapter 16 or so probably, don't hold me to that, look around, it's there, God told Abraham, look, I'm going to, to bless all nations through you. And ultimately, after making that promise, and we'll talk about this in great detail when we get to Hebrews chapter 6, God, uh, he swore to Abraham. He swore by himself. He made a promise and he made an oath. And what does it say here as it talks about the promise and the oath that God made? Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose. That is, that God is going to stick to what he says. If God says, I am going to bless all nations through Abraham, then God is going to do it. Why? Because God is not a liar. We see that as if you continue reading in Hebrews chapter 6. God does not lie. So when God made the promise, he even went so far as to say, I'm going to make an oath. And God did make an oath. And he swore by himself, the scripture says, because there is no one higher than that he could swear by. But what God did was he showed his unchangeable purpose. That is, God's plans were going to succeed. God was going to be the same as he was when he made the promise as he is today. And that's good news for us because the promise was that all nations would be blessed through Abraham. And that's for you and I, that through Jesus Christ, we are blessed today. And so God has certainly kept his promise and will continue to keep that promise forevermore because he is unchangeable. All right, one more passage that we're going to look at tonight. God is not a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? Okay, so God is unchanging in that way. Now, we'll change our mind left and right. Many of you probably have changed your mind. One day you think one thing, one day you say the next thing, but God is not like us and that we're flippant. We don't know what to do and we change what we think and we change our ideas and we change how we're going to respond to things. 
God is not like a man. He does not lie. And he does not change his mind like a man. That's important for us to, to understand that aspect of it. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? Well, praise the Lord. When he speaks, he acts. And when he promises, he fulfills. We can find, we can find great hope in the fact that God is unchanging today. But this, but this idea is one that we need to spend just a moment talking about. Because it says that God doesn't change his mind, but yet there are instances in Scripture where it appears that God changes his mind. Now, one of those instances is in the book of Jonah. He tells Jonah in chapter 3 to go and preach to the people, I believe verse 4, and tell them that there's a destruction coming in 40 days. And then you read down to verse 10, and it says, And God repented, or God relented. Now, we need to, if you have a translation that says repented, you might need to change, we kind of have to change our understanding, because when we think about repentance, we think that that comes from a sin. But repentance simply means to, to turn, to change. And that's exactly what God did. He said, I'm going to bring destruction. That's the message that he told uh, Jonah to preach. And Jonah preached that message. But then it, in verse 10, he says that he relented. And he did not bring the disaster on Nineveh, at least not at that time. So isn't that a passage that shows that God changes his mind? Well, God did change his judgment there. But God didn't change his mind like a man changes his mind. That is... The character of who God is in that example and in other examples does not change who God is. Because God is just, God brings judgment on those that are deserving of judgment. That part of God's character has not changed. But what we're seeing here is two different parts of God's character, which we will talk about these as we continue to go on. But God, when he says that to Jonah, he's saying, look, I'm bringing judgment on these people because I'm a just God and they have sinned. And so there's nothing changed or nothing wrong with, with what God said there because he is God. But then in verse 10, when he changes his mind or when he relents or when he repents, that also is not changing who God is. God has not all of a sudden changed. God is simply giving grace instead of justice. Now, grace is part of who God is. He is gracious. And so there's no change in who God is. God didn't go from being a just God to a gracious God. No, God has always been a just God. He's always been a gracious God. But in some of these examples, and there are others, in which God repents or relents or does not bring about a disaster that he said he was going to bring about. Now, we may do such things as humans because we change our mind. But God does these things because... In the case of Jonah and the people of Nineveh, they heard the message and they repented. They realized that what they were doing was wrong and they put themselves in sackcloth and ashes and they mourned over the sin that they had committed. And for that reason, instead of seeing God's wrath and the justice of God, they experienced the grace of God. And so both of these things, justice and grace, are part of who God is. So God, even though he did not bring the wrath that he said he was going to bring, it's not because God changed in some way. He didn't change who he was. He is the same God that he was, but he allowed his graciousness to, to be greater than his wrath or greater than the justice that he was going to bring. And so we see passages like these that says he does not change his mind or, or, and, and does not change like a human does. But yet we see passages where God does not bring some wrath that he said I'm going to bring. And that is because 
people turn their heart to, to God. They seek Him. They repent. And that's good news for us that God does not change. And so we need to know that even when we see these instances in Scripture where, where God does something different than what He originally said, we don't have to live in fear that somehow God is going to change. You may remember from the movie Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Darth Vader. Now, that was the best Star Wars movie of all of them. And if you don't agree with me, you can talk to me afterwards and I'll tell you why you're wrong. But at the end, toward the end of that movie, Han Solo and all the crew, they had went to this cloud city of Bespin to see an old friend, Lando Calrissian, and his friend had set up to betray him and turn him over to Darth Vader. And so they get Han Solo and they freeze him in this block of carbonite. And Han Solo comes, or excuse me, Darth Vader comes to collect Han Solo. And he also is going to take the rest of the crew that's with him. And Lando says, wait a minute, that wasn't part of the deal. And Darth Vader famously says... I have altered the deal. Pray that I do not alter the deal any further. Now, that's not what God is like. We don't, have to, we don't have to walk in fear that all of a sudden God has promised to be gracious to us or promised to be good to us or promised to deliver us through Jesus Christ or promised to give us an eternity and all of a sudden at the drop of a hat that God could just change and God could be something different. Say, aha, that's not who I am. Nope. God does not lie. God is not like Darth Vader. He does not change in that way. What God's Word says is unchangeable. It is true. It is right in everything that we read and everything that we see. And so we can, take, we can take great hope in the fact that God is unchanging. But perhaps there's some fear in that too to say, okay, if God didn't like sin in the Old Testament and dealt with that in some way, then guess what? God still doesn't like sin today and He still deals with that in some way. That's not to say that God is not gracious but sometimes God allows people to live in their sin. He turns them over to that. We see that idea even in Romans and the New Testament. So, so no aspect of God that we see in the Old Testament is absent from God in the New Testament or moving forward for us. All right, so God is unchanging. And we can have confidence in who God is. He is who the Bible says He is, and He has not changed. And that's good news for us. So He is a God that we can trust. He doesn't... He, he's not like human beings. There are human beings that change. They one day are your friend. They're one day trustworthy. They're one day not. No, nope. God is God, and He is unchanging. He is immutable. All right, next section that we're going to look at. God is holy. Now, to be holy means to be set apart. God, in fact, is set apart and worthy of our complete devotion. Now, we see the word holy a lot in Scripture. God is holy and that He is unique. He is set apart. He is unlike any other being. He is like any, unlike any other God. You know, we see all these false gods in the Old Testament, but God is different. God is like any other ruler, any other king that's over any other people or any other nation. God is set apart. God is holy. God is unique. He is a unique God who is set apart from all others, and He has chosen His people to be a unique people who are set apart from all others. Because of who God is, because He is holy, because He is set apart, He is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our devotion that we follow Him because He is above all. He is greater than all. There is no other 
who is like him. And so when we say that God is holy, we are saying there is no other like God. He is set apart. He is different. He is above all others. The first passage we'll look at is in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. This is Hannah saying a prayer here. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. And there is no rock like our God. This is an easy verse for us to understand. Hannah acknowledges this truth. There is no one like the Lord. There is no one that has ever been. There is no one who will ever be like the Lord. There is but one God, and it is Yahweh. And there is no one like Him. There is no one besides Him. And there is no rock like our God. So if we're looking for a rock that is a place of stability, a place of strength, a place of protection, then we will find that in none other but in God. And Hannah recognizes this truth, that God is set apart, He is different, and there is a certain strength and, and something we can build upon in God that we cannot build upon in any other. All right, the next passage, Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around the inside. Now, that's all gnarly stuff, so we won't get into that. That's beyond the scope of what we're talking about. But listen to what these creatures do. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, 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 Lord God the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is coming. Now, think about that for a second. That they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. We sang that song. Holy, holy, holy. God is worthy of our praise. We see that here with these angelic creatures, that God is worthy of the praise that they give. He is worthy of the praise that we give. Why? Because God is holy, holy, holy. He is uniquely holy. He is set apart, different than all else, unique from all else, better than all else. God is holy. Humanity acknowledges that. The angelic beings acknowledge that. Day and night they say God is holy, holy, holy. All right, next passage. Psalm chapter 71, verse 22. Therefore I will praise you with a heart for your faithfulness. My God, I will sing to you with a lyre, holy one of Israel. Now, in the Psalms we see frequently that David acknowledges the goodness of God and the protection of God and the deliverance of God. And when we recognize the greatness of God and how holy God is and how God has worked in our life and that we can, we can trust in the fact that He is unchangeable, then that should result in some praise for us that God has brought deliverance to us through Jesus Christ, that God has been with us through our times of trouble. And we too should praise God. We want to we make sure that we... Praise God. Maybe we do it in song. Maybe we do it in prayer. Maybe there's in some other way that you, that you through, your, through your worship and, and in your heart, you praise God. And that's what we, say, uh, what we see here in Psalm 71. I will praise you with a heart for your faithfulness. Isn't that, isn't that great that God is faithful? If only we would be as faithful as God in, in the things that we do. But too many times as a society, we are unfaithful. We are unfaithful to those who are our business partners or we are unfaithful to those who are our friends or our family members when we should have done one thing or made a promise to do one thing and we've done something else. How sad it is that so many times in our marriages 
that people are unfaithful, that they don't hold up to that covenant that they made with their husband or with their wife when they took those vows forever or for worse till death do us part. And I will leave all others and I will cleave only unto you. We often hear those words at, at wedding services and how sad it is that people do not remain faithful. But what we see with God is a faithfulness that is more beautiful than any faithfulness that any human being could ever possess. And so we praise God for the fact that He continues to be faithful even when we are not. God is faithful. And that's what we see in this psalm, that He's worthy of our praise because of His faithfulness. And what does it say at the end there? It acknowledges God as who? The Holy One of Israel. So we see plenty of instances in Scripture where God is referred to as holy. We're only looking at five tonight, but you can find plenty of those should you care to study that in greater detail. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But as the one who called you is holy, okay, so we've established that God is holy, but what does that mean for us? What does that look like in our life? If we know that God is holy, it says you also are to be holy in all your conduct. So if God is holy, if God is unique, if God is, if God is different than all others, then we who put our faith in Jesus Christ and say we're going to seek to serve God and live by the will of the Father, then we should strive to be holy. We should strive to be set apart and look different than all others. If the world looks at those who profess to be Christians and we don't look any different, the world, why are they going to want to be a Christian if we say you need to be a Christian? Well, they're not. But when they look at the way we live our life, if we live our life in a way that, 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 that brings honor and glory to God and follows His commands and we live by His Word, then even the lost and dying world can look at us and say, there's something different about Him or there's something different about her. They're unique. They are apart from the rest of the world. They are set apart. They are different. And we need to look different. Christianity needs to look different than those in the world who do not seek Jesus Christ. And too many times the lines are blurred. A lot of times you may could go into a church and see the people in the church and then watch those people the rest of the week. And maybe that's true of us too. And would the world be able to tell that there is anything different about us? That's a, that's a scary thing for us to think about. Maybe there is something different. Maybe we live our life in a way that, that represents God rightly. Or maybe we don't. Maybe we live our life in a way that we look just like the rest of the world. We need to look different from the rest of the world. We need to strive to be holy because God is holy. Uh, verse 16, For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. I'm not sure what passage that is quoting there, but I think it's from the Old Testament. Be holy as I am holy. So here's this call for us to strive to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. God is set apart. God is unique. God is different. And those who are His should be different and look different and act different from the rest of the world. Alright, one more passage here. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 15. I am Yahweh, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Now, again, we see established pretty clearly that God is holy, that God is set apart, and God calls His people repeatedly in the Old Testament to be holy. They are called to be a holy people. They are, they are called by God and they are set apart by God, the nation of Israel, to be unlike all the other nations. And the people of Israel even acknowledge that. 
Now, here's the thing about the, the nations in the Old Testament. They're very worldly. They have false gods that call them to do crazy things like sacrificing children and a bunch of other ridiculous stuff. But they also have kings. They have, they have human rulers who, who rule over them, good or bad. They had kings, and that's what established the nation. All right, there's a king, and there's a people who follow that king. They live in this particular place. They are a nation. But God's people are unique in that God just, just picked Abraham. Now, why did God pick Abraham? I do not have a clue. He said, all right, I'm picking you, and through you, I'm going to build a people. I'm going to build a nation. But from the get-go, God did not establish a king over his people Israel. Why is that? It's because God is their king. We see that here, that God is the Holy One, the Creator of Israel, and He is the King of Israel. And so God's people were a holy nation chosen by God, set apart. God said, okay, here are the rest of the nations. They do all these detestable things, and they worship idols, and they, and they just do these evil things. But you group that I have chosen... I am going to make you different. I'm giving you a better standard to live by. I'm going to be your king. I'm going to rule over you, and I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to lead you better than any human king. And so God took his people, and, and he, he formed his people, and eventually, even though they were in difficult times in slavery in Exodus, God delivered his people out and was on his way to bringing them into the promised land. And, man, they sinned time and time again. And ultimately, they made it into the promised land time and time again, seeing the power of God and God leading his people, God being the king of his people. And then we go through the book of Judges. And then by the time we get into the book of Samuel, do you know what the people of God said? They said, we want a king to be like the other nations. 1 Samuel chapter 8. That's exactly what they said. We want a king. Samuel, appoint us a king so that we can be like all the other nations. Now, wait a minute. God didn't want them to be like all the other nations. That's why God called them to be holy, to be set apart, to be unlike the other nations. The other nations had one thing in common. They all had kings. The nation of Israel was unique and that their king was God. And so they said, we want to be like the other nations. Wait a minute. You want to worship false gods? You want to do sinful things? Well, that turns out to be exactly what they wanted to do. And Samuel wasn't happy about the request of the people. And, he, and he's, he's, he's not happy. And God says, don't worry about it. Let them do what they're going to do because it is me that they have rejected. And so God had set it up as a holy God who was set apart to be the king of his people and to lead his people, but they refused to be obedient, so much so that they wanted to be like the other nations. And instead of seeking to be holy, as God called them to be, instead they chose to be like all the others around them. Now, we probably battle against the same thing. God today calls us to be holy and to serve him and to follow his will. But how many times do the other things of the world that we see Boy, those look appealing to us. And so instead of being a people who are set apart and being holy and who look different and can be a light to the world, we simply be begin to look like the rest of the world and we do not uh, show the light in which we really could. And so we want to strive to make sure, A, that we recognize that God is holy. And once we recognize that God is holy, that we ourselves seek to be holy as God is holy. Now... 
We just talked about God being the king, and so that is a fitting segue into our next segment. But before we get there, if God is holy, that means that sin has touched all else, but God remains set apart. That's the one constant. That's the one unchanging thing, that God has not been affected by sin. That's good news. Now, you and I, even if we seek and we strive to be holy as best as we can, look, there's still sin in our life. There's still sin in our world. But that's not true of God. And that's why we can have hope in God, because He is holy, because He has not been affected by sin. Sin has not got the best of Him. And since God has not been overcome with sin, and through Jesus Christ who had not been overcome with sin... God shares that holiness and that victory to us through Jesus Christ when we put our faith and trust in Him. All right, let's look at the next section, and that is that God is sovereign. Now, some of your translations may occasionally use the word sovereign to speak of God, but when we speak of the fact that God is sovereign, what we are saying is that God has authority to do as He wills and answers to no other. Now, when we think about someone being sovereign, the best way for us to think about that is in the idea of a monarchy or the idea of a king. Now, we don't really see that so much in our, in our culture today. You may see places that have kings and queens, but oftentimes, even though they have the title, they don't necessarily rule in the same way as a king or a queen would have back years ago. Back in the day, the king was the king, and what the king said went, regardless of whether he was good or he was bad, he was the sovereign. He was the one who was over all the people. So whatever he said went. Now, sometimes you'll hear the word sovereign, too. It was a, a form of money, I think, used by the French. But that's not, we're not talking about money here. We're talking about one who is a supreme ruler, who is over all and has to answer to no one. So if an earthly king decided, this is going to be this law, You're gonna, you have to wear blue shirts on Friday, well, that was the law because he was the king. It didn't matter why he said it didn't matter what his reasons were, didn't matter if it was good or bad, what the king said went because he was the highest in the land. Now, we may have kings and leaders that are the highest in our land, but there is no king or leader that is higher than God. When we talk about sovereignty, God is the one who is sovereign. There is no one who is greater than him. And so that means that whatever God says or does is right because God is good, He is unchanging, and He is holy. And so if God says something, if God puts something into place, if God does something, it is the right thing to do because God is sovereign and He is good. All right, let's look at some passages that talk about this. Psalm chapter 115, verse 3. Our God is in heaven and does whatever He pleases. Now, this is going to be kind of like the passages we looked at last week. You're not going to see that word show up a lot in Scripture, but you're going to see that idea that God is overall and that God does what He pleases. Now, we can't really always do what we please because we are not the ultimate authority. If you decide that you want to get in your fast car and you want to go 150 miles an hour, well, you can't do as you please. I mean, you can do it, but guess what's going to happen? You're going to get pulled over. At some point in time, you're going to pass by a state trooper and they're going to turn on the lights and you're going to get in trouble. Why? Because they are a higher authority to you. And you can say, wait a minute, I don't agree with that. I should be able to do what I please. And you're going to go before a judge, and you're going to tell the judge that, and the judge is going to tell you, here is your fine. 
Because we cannot do whatever we please because we answer to higher authorities. But all answer to God. He is the highest authority and he can do whatever he pleases. Now praise the Lord, God is good. And he doesn't just do a bunch of crazy stuff. He does what he pleases, but what he does is good and right. <clears throat> the scripture tells us that no one can say of God that he is unfair. It will never be said of God that he is unfair. Or at least not, not, not with, any, with any weight. People may say that. People may certainly say, oh, I think God is unfair. But when all is said and done, it's not going to hold up. It's, it's going to be that everything that God has done has been good when he does whatever he pleases. All right, next passage. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. Many plans are in a man's heart. But the Lord's decree will prevail. We can come up with whatever we want to do, but we're not the ultimate authority. We can come up with these plans, some of which may seem good, some of which may come to fruition, or some of which may not. Why? Because God's will will prevail. We talked about that this morning. The will of God will always prevail. Why? Because God is sovereign. And so his way is the way that it's going to, it's going to work out. If you were before a, a king at a banquet and the king said, well, what do you think we should have tonight? And you said, well, I think we should have Raisin Cane's chicken fingers. And the king says, well, you know what? I'd rather have a Wendy's Baconator. Guess what? The king's will is going to prevail. No matter how much we got our heart set on that caniac with that cane sauce, as good as it may be, our will is not going to prevail. It's always going to be God's will that is going to prevail. Even if we have the best intentions or the best desires, God's will is right because he is sovereign. And so he does what he pleases, and his will always will prevail. Next passage, Psalm chapter 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Now, we talk about kingship, and oftentimes if we think about someone who is sovereign, we may think about an earthly king, but there is a throne that is greater than the thrones of this world, and that is the throne on which God sits. And the Lord has established his throne in heaven. That is, it is above all other things in this world, and his kingdom rules over all. And so God is the king, has established a kingdom through his people who put their faith and trust in him and, and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that is a kingdom that is above all because we serve a king that is above all. God is sovereign. He sits as the king of all kings, greater so than any other king in this world. All right. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10 I declare the end from the beginning, and from long ago what is not yet done, saying, My plan will take place, and I will do all my will. So God knows the end. He knows the beginning, what has been long ago, and what is still to be. And when all is said and done, God's plan will take place, and God will do all that he wills. Why? Because God is sovereign. God is the one who is in control. God is the one who does all things. He does all things right. And he does all things good. We've got one more passage. It's a little bit longer from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 and 12. It says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on the earth and on earth, excuse me, belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom 
and you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you, and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it is your and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now this sums it up. If we if we think about God as being sovereign in this idea of being rich and being powerful and having a kingdom and being the king over that kingdom that is exalted above all others, this passage here in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 helps bring that point home. That God being sovereign is great and he is powerful. And so all that God does is right. And we need to remember that. We, we talked about that really some this morning too. We need to remember that in life, when life is difficult and tough and it doesn't make sense and we don't understand why God is allowing things to happen or why God is doing the things that he is he's doing them the way that he's doing them, we must remember that God is sovereign. And so who are we to question God? He is the highest authority. And it's good news for us, and we have to remind ourselves of this, that what God does is for our good and for the good of his kingdom. And sometimes that means that God may allow bad things to happen for the good of his kingdom. But that sometimes is the way in which God's work, God works. And we don't always understand that. But we, if we remember that God, that God is sovereign, that God is holy, that God is unchanging, he is trustworthy. We see that time and time again through scripture. He is not unjust. He is not unfaithful. He is, in fact, gracious and merciful. And so we see all of these aspects of who God is throughout Scripture. So when we say God is sovereign, we acknowledge that He is a supreme ruler and that He is right in all that He does. And so tonight we have looked at three other areas about God, that He is unchanging, that He is holy, and that He is sovereign. And so we are halfway there. You can look on your sheet and see which ones we're going to look at Next week, we're going to take three more aspects, and then two weeks from tonight, we'll look at three more. You could certainly probably find a few more and, and make a longer list, but I, I feel like that these we're looking at are good. They're a good place for us to start. If we want to understand who God is, if we want to understand that nature of God that we saw and we talked about in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, then, then these are the things that should come to our mind when we think about the nature of God. These, these, these words or these terms, even if we don't see all of them in Scripture, we see the ideas time and time again in Scripture. So let's pray, and then y'all hang around, and we're going we're gonna to eat a little snack before we go. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are, dear Lord. You are good. You are holy. You are faithful to us, dear Lord, and I pray that we would trust in you, and that God, we would we would... We would know that what you do is good, even if we don't understand it, dear Lord, that we would not be too quick to question who you are, dear Lord, but we would know that you are the king, you are the ruler, you are the sovereign, dear Lord, and you are sovereign in all you do. God, I pray that we would recognize that you are holy, that you are greater than any other God that this world may try to present us with, but God, you are above all. So let us know that you are set apart and you are different, and God, you call your people to be set apart and to be different. So let us be found faithful to be those who are not like the world, who do not seek the things of the world, that we don't find ourselves guilty of that crew in 1 Samuel 8 that says that we want to be like the nations, but God, that we seek and that we strive to be like you, that we do not abandon you as our king, but God, that we seek you and trust you 
as our king, dear Lord. So let us not fail in the way that they did. God, I thank you for this group that has come. I thank you for the ones that made food and what we have tonight and the time of fellowship that we're going to get in just a few minutes as we hang out. And I pray that you give everybody a good week. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.